0: Thank you, Corey, Mary, um, Brent, for, for that. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. This is where we will spend our time together this morning. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, there's one provided for you in the pew ahead of you. If you don't own a Bible, then that one's on the house. You can take that one with you. But uh, we will be on page 674, if memory serves correctly, in Ephesians chapter 3. Let's... Uh, read this passage again um i know we've already read it but i like to soak in 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 god's word i don't just like to put my 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 foot in i like to just jump right in so let's do that ephesians chapter 3 beginning of verse 14 paul the apostle says for this reason i bow my knee before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may, be, may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So here we are, approaching halftime in the, the book of Ephesians. This is about midway point through this wonderful 6 chaptered book, and uh, it's about to make a shift. There's a very important, and it, when you read the entire book together, a very noticeable shift in the way Paul writes The first three chapters written by the Apostle Paul who was once an enemy of Jesus. Now his greatest supporter and greatest Christian who probably has ever lived. And he writes a letter to a church in Ephesus. And for the first three chapters of the letter, he's given just instruction. It's descriptive. And and what he does is he just kind of explains to us and to the the church in Ephesus what God has done in Christ for us, and what that means for, for us as followers of Jesus. So it's, it's been entirely descriptive. Starting in a couple of weeks, we're going to start chapter 1, and things are going to go from descriptive to prescriptive. He's going to give you, right now in, in, in chapter 1, 2, and 3, we've been given the what, we've been given the why, and in chapter 4 through 6, he's going to give us the how. So this is the what And this is the why, as to what is God's plan for us, what did God do for us, why did God do this, and what is God doing with us, and what does that matter to me? That's all big picture, descriptive. And then in chapter 4 through 6, he's going to give us the prescription, which is, how do you put that to place? So what does that matter? And before he does, Paul prays. Starting in verse 14 and through the end of the chapter... In chapter 3, it's a prayer. And so we're going to look at that prayer this morning. And the way Paul prays, this is wonderful, he he prays giving you equipping. Uh, he's, he's equipping you with three different things. So this is the second prayer that Paul has prayed in the, in the letter uh, to the Ephesian church. The first was in chapter 1. And it was a prayer of enlightenment, that God would open your eyes, that your eyes of your understanding would be enlightened to know the purpose that you made and the purpose of God in your life. It was a prayer of enlightenment. Here, Paul is praying for, this is a prayer of equipment and empowerment. Paul is praying that you would be equipped. And he's about to give you some equipment for the mission. So God has given you this great mission and he's about to, Paul's praying that God would give you the equipment to fulfill that mission. You with me? It's a little bit like when James Bond goes to Q. You know, talk, you remember that? All those scenes in all those movies where he goes to Q and Q gives him like, some special gadget that he's going to have to end up using to accomplish the mission. See, this passage, this prayer, is a little bit like going to Q and getting the uh, tools in order to accomplish the mission that God has given to you. It's a little bit like that. Except it's for real. And except there's no like eject passenger button in the car. Okay? Regrettably, there isn't. But it's equipping, and so Paul is about to pray for equipping. We're going to see this passage, just by way of introduction, it is a mountain range, really. There is so much in these handful of verses, you could literally spend years in this passage and not unlock it all. So it's a mountain range. We're just going to be looking at three peaks, three tools, or three vats, If you look in that passage closely, there's three that's that he prays for. I pray that, here they they are, I have them in my notes, that you would have power for the presence of Christ, that you would understand the love of Christ, and that you would be filled with the fullness of God. So that's where we're going, that's how it's teed up, and that's where we're headed. So I'm asking that you would kind of lean into this passage with me this morning, and we just unlock all the treasures that God has for us here. So let's pray. Bow your head, let's go ahead and pray for our time together Father this these are your words they're not mine these are your people and I ask Father that you would speak to us your people through your word and equip us to fulfill your mission and your purpose and I pray that you would use you would use me despite my foolishness, my sinfulness, my unworthiness, to accomplish your purpose and preach your word. I ask, Lord, that you would spare me this the sins of mishandling your word. And I pray that. I would never use this pulpit as a means for self-aggrandizement. I would never use this platform as a means to feed my insecurities. That this would never be a platform for Jeremiah Wellman, but for Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So as I said, this is a prayer. This is a prayer which actually began in verse 1. If you look back to in chapter 3, it began in verse 1. And then verses 2 through 13 are a digression. So he just kind of digresses, right, from verse 2 to 13. So ladies, next time you're telling a story and your husband's like, would you just get to the point— Uh, You can be like, hey, Paul digressed, and so can I. So there you have permission from the Scriptures to digress. But Paul digresses from chapter 2 to 13. But his digression, by the way, it means something. So just so you know, okay, you got to, right, can't can't let you off the hook entirely, right? Um, That wasn't very nice. My wife is over there. Yours is right next to you, so... Um, before we unlock this, the wonders of this prayer in particular, I want to just kind of say a few things about prayer in general. Uh, because I think it's a good point, this part of, of Ephesians, that we... I just say a couple things about prayer. First thing about prayer is, you should pray. Christians pray. There is no Christian that doesn't pray. There is no Christ follower that doesn't pray to Christ. When jesus was teaching us how to pray he started it off in matthew 6 with saying when you pray not hey if you pray no it's when you pray because the scripture knows nothing of a christian which doesn't pray so you need to pray all christians pray paul told the church at thessalonica that hey guys pray and they they were good christians and so they said "Uh, okay paul how long and he said hey without ceasing and they said pardon? (laughs) Uh, But they were thinking situational. He was thinking, you know, uh, he was thinking more like positional, your your orientation. They were thinking situation. He was thinking orientation. But you should be always be praying. The Bible says pray without ceasing. E.M. Bounds wrote a book. There's a an old dead guy that I like to read named E.M. Bounds and he wrote a book called Power Through Prayer and it's written to pastors but it, it really has uh, a lot to do with everyone and he wrote and I quote acquaintance with God is not made with pop calls end quote and he wrote that in 19 whatever 1913 or something and so in modern parlance that would say acquaintance with God is not made with text messages meaning you've got to pray you've got to pray a lot if you want to be acquainted with God you have to dialogue with him so that's the first thing I wanted to say about prayer. The other thing I wanted to say about prayer is this. Prayer has a posture, and it is not every head bowed and eyes closed. It is, I pray to the Father, like Paul says there, I bow my knees. Prayer, the posture of prayer is a, is a bowing of your knees. Not, a, not entirely external, but internally. It is a posture of bowing down before the Father. See, the wonderful thing about prayer is it is at once the most humblest of positions and also the most elevated of positions. Because you come before God of the universe, the creator of everything, and you have dialogue with him. But at the same time, while you're dialoguing with him, you're bowing your knees in recognition of his complete sovereign provision over your life and your utter powerlessness over it. And so it is at once a very elevated position and also a very humbling position. So prayer is a bowing of the knee. Another thing I wanted to say about this phrase, I bow my knees before the Father, is prayer is is speaking to God as Father. Prayer is speaking to God. When Jesus taught us how to pray, he used to do it like this our Father, who art in heaven. When you you pray, your prayer is to the Father. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. And, And this is important. This is important because some of us weren't dealt a good hand, and we didn't get a nurturing and caring and loving and supportive Father. And so some of us struggle with regard to relating to God as a nurturing and caring and loving and supporting father. And it, it affects our prayer life. Some of you didn't get dealt a good hand with regard to a father. He, he, didn't ca- he didn't care about you all that much. And let's be honest, it messed you up a little bit, didn't it? And let's be honest, you're using other people to try to make up for what daddy broke in you. And it affects your prayer life because you have a hard time relating to God as father because you didn't know anything of a nurturing and loving and caring and supportive father. But I have good news. What daddy sold down the river, Jesus bought back. Maybe, Maybe your dad didn't grease the gears and the motor seized up. Well, Jesus rebuilt the engine. So... You can now relate to God as father because Jesus bought that back and he rebuilt that thing for you. And so all you need to do if you struggle relating to God as father is get your rear end in the scriptures. Find everywhere in the Bible it talks about the fatherhood of God and read it and then read it again and then read it again. And what happens is the Holy Spirit of God goes in here and rewrites code and you start understanding that God the father isn't like your daddy who who cared less about you than he did the Buckeyes and light and cares more for you than he's willing to give his own son in order to buy you back from the hell that you got yourself into. That's the kind of love because you may have forgotten that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. It was the love of God that motivated him to, see, to save you and redeem you. And so many of us, we just need to get into the scriptures and just kind of let the Holy Spirit rewrite that for us so that we can know and pray to God as Father. So, so there's that. So let's, together, let, let's, 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 try to, let's, let's stop trying to use others to fill up that gap that daddy left. Because our spouse, let, let's be honest, our spouse, they're not able to. They weren't made to, to, to fill that up. And, and we can't take it out on our kids either. Just get in your Bible and let Jesus fix that thing. Verse 16. The first that. The first tool. That, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the first thing that Paul prays for, and it is a prayer for power. Look closely, he says, I want you to be strengthened with power. Now, why would, he, why would you need to be strengthened with power? What was the thing that is needed that required the power? Well, verse 17 says, the thing that requires that you would be strengthened with power is that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Because Jesus is going to dwell in your heart, you're going to need some power. For this reason, Paul is praying. So, God has given you a mission to accomplish his purpose, which is, as we've said many times in this series, to make much of his name. To, to, to praise of the glory of the grace of God from Ephesians 1. Right from the beginning. That was the purpose of God in your life. And in order to carry out that purpose, that mission, you're going to need some strength. You're going to need strength in your inner man. Think of it like this. Your purpose is before you came the purposes of your life before Jesus saved you were weak. They were, they, were, they were weak. Instead of making much of his name, you were trying to make much of your name. Make a little bit of money. Be comfortable. Get the respect of some folks. You know, spend your time in your hobbies. Retire happy. And when none of those things, by the way, transcend life. When you die, those things die. So they're weak. They didn't mean anything. But when Jesus saved you, he replaced those weak purposes with his purposes, his great purpose, the purpose of making much of his name and not your name, and serving his church, and the things that you do and invest in the kingdom transcend that life that you've been given. And in order to do that, you need power. Because you came to Jesus in your powerless four-cylinder Ford Pinto, right? Zero to 60 in a prayer. And, and Jesus took that lousy engine out and he replaced it with something much bigger, something with power. Some like six liter V8 or something. He just replaced it with something that has Power. And he redid the engine mounts, and he redid the drive train, and he he redid the exhaust. He redid everything to give you power to accomplish the purpose for which he created you. You're going to need power. So Paul is praying that you would be strengthened with power in your inner man. So that Christ would dwell in your heart and that you would be able to accomplish the purpose that he has given for you. So, Sorry about the car metaphor. That was a little messy. Thanks for hanging in there with me. To comprehend his love. The next thing he prays is this. I bow my knee before the Father that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So I bow my knees before the Father that you'd be strengthened with power, that Christ would dwell in your inner man. And then he prays that you would comprehend, that you would have more strength. And this time the strength isn't for power. This time the strength is for comprehension, for understanding. You're going to need to be empowered, strengthened, in order to understand something which Paul calls something that surpasses knowledge. So you're going to need strength in order to comprehend something that surpasses knowledge, namely the love of Christ, namely the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of of the love of Jesus. So you need strength in order to comprehend this, how wide and how long and how deep, how high is Jesus' love. And you know, I think if, if there's one scripture that explains, or kind of sums up the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Jesus' love. It's in, it's in the Gospel of John. It's tucked away in a, in a dialogue, a discourse that Jesus had with his disciples in the night before we, he was murdered. And he tells them this in John 15, verse 9. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now ponder that for a moment. Really think about what Jesus just said there. As the Father has loved me, so so I also have loved you. And tell me if you would agree with the Apostle Paul and tell me that that is surpassing knowledge. Because what Jesus just said there, by the way, is that the same quality and quantity that God the Father has for God the Son, God the Son has for you. And I ask, how much does God the Father love God the Son? It's immeasurable, yes? And that's the same love, not less. That Jesus has for you. The same depth. The same height. same length and the same breadth. Same love. God the Father who loved God the Son from eternity past. With a never stopping, never ending, never waning, always and forever love. That same love God the Son has for you. immeasurable, incomprehensible. And He loves you so much that He was willing to send His Son into the world to be treated like a criminal, to bear the shame and the reproach of your sin, to be spit on, to be mocked, to be flogged, to be nailed to a cross, To be stabbed with a spear. To be laid in a tomb. For the sake of demonstrating to you how much love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's going to sound weird when I say this. but you know what put Jesus on the cross? God did. Isaiah 53 says, it was God's pleasure to bruise him. It's God's will that he go to the cross. I've told you this before. When Adam and Eve sinned, This didn't catch God by surprise. The cross was never plan B. The Trinity did not draw sticks. And Jesus get the short one. This was plan A. When God said, let there be light, the cross was already plan A. How do we know this? Because the Bible tells us that before the foundation of the world, God's plan was to save you. Before God created anything, he knew we would jack it all up and he knew he would have to come and fix it. The cross is the demonstration of God's love and grace. And then Paul prays that God would cause his people, that's you and that's me, that's the church of Jesus Christ, to be rooted and grounded in that love. Rooted and grounded in love in that love he's saying let your roots go deep in the love of Christ not the love for Christ the love of Christ you see love for Jesus is always reciprocal it love for Jesus never initiated here it initiated there we love him because he first loved us. It was all it started there. And so Paul's praying you would be rooted and grounded in Jesus love. How much Jesus loves. How many of us this last week could have used a good rooting and grounding in the love of Jesus in our life. The citizens of Lafayette, Louisiana probably did. We need a good rooting and grounding. But there's a reason Paul prays that Jesus would root us and ground us in his love. And so I want you to see the effect of understanding, of comprehending what is incomprehensible the love of Jesus. When you understand how much Jesus loves you, your world changes. Every paradigm changes. Your entire approach to everything changes. You become, when you have deep roots, and when you're grounded in the love of Jesus, you become strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You're able to withstand almost anything the world and the devil throw at you. You have strong roots because you know how much Jesus loves you. And then you're able to, regardless of tragedy and hardship and disappointment and setback. You're able to stand strong in the Lord and the power of his might, regardless of what others say about you. Because your identity doesn't come from what others think and feel about you. It comes from what Jesus thinks and feels about you. That's your strong identity. That's who you are that's your identifier. And in that place you're able to withstand nearly anything. Stand strong in the Lord and the power of his his might. Know his love for you, which is unending and irreversible. You realize that Jesus sees us in our sins, in our messes, in our mistakes, in our unworthiness. And he loves us anyway. He loves us despite it. And when you understand just the breadth and the length and the width and the height and all that, about how Jesus, it just reframes the way you look at your own life and who you are. It reframes everything in you. And you're not swayed by the opinion of others and you're not swayed by anything else and you know, you realize God isn't out to get you. He's out to give to you. Because He decided you were worth loving. He decided you were worth dying for. And that's where your identity has to come from. So, let's make a commitment together, Cornerstone, and let's let's stop calculating our self-worth based on what others think and feel about us. Let's start focusing on what Jesus says, who we are. Because Paul knows that when we understand how Jesus thinks and feels about us, that makes us way more effective in the kingdom of God. We're not insecure. We're not blown about by every wind of doctrine. We're not wishy-washy. Mamby-pamby Christians. Strong Christians. Able to withstand any setback and disappointment. In it for the long haul. I mean, how many of us know Christians that are like this? They go through peaks and valleys in their, in their walk with the Lord. Look, you're going to go through times where you're gonna, things are going to wane. and You're just not going to feel it in here. You're going to go through times where you're going to be hurt. You're going to have pain. It's okay but the preponderance of your christian faith should be a steady incline and not this kind of roller coaster thing because that's flatlined and you're not moving towards jesus you're just up and down you see the the solution for half-hearted devotion to jesus is a full-hearted understanding of the love of jesus and so that's The antidote for lackluster devotion to Christ. I try to explain it like this as often as I can. The, The solution to overcoming sin and temptation, I mean sexual sin or otherwise, any kind of sin, the solution to that is not a temperance of your desires. It's the opposite. It's an enlargement of your desires. Here's what I mean. When your soul has been feasting on the riches available to you in Christ, you are not easily tempted by the fleeting pleasures that are offered by sin. Does that make sense? When you have spent time with the Lord and you have enjoyed Him and drunk Him in deeply and enjoyed Him in very deep and lasting and long ways, when sin and its fleeting little gross pleasures are offered to you, they are of no appeal because you're used to enlarging your heart around the love of God. And so the answer to a, to a sin-struggling per sin person who's fighting against this temptation or that isn't that they would temper all their desires, but in fact that they would replace those puny desires with a much richer experience of God's pleasures in their life. This is why the scriptures will say in Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When you're feasting on everything that is available to you in Christ through the Holy Spirit, you're not easily tempted by those paltry pleasures offered by sin. And so Paul knows what comes when you understand the love of Jesus, the strong resistance to sin, a deeply rooted, grounded life set about doing God's will. And so that's how he prays. The third and the final prayer that Paul prays for us is that we would be filled, that you would be filled with the fullness of, God, meaning that your life would be filled up with every bit of, of God there is. Because every bit of your life would be completely filled with every bit of God's life. There's, just, there's nothing in your life that more God can't fit in. Filled to all the fullness of God. Completely filled. One commentator I read this week said that there's no prayer that has been framed that has made a bolder request, except that you, you would be filled with the fullness of God. This is Christian maturity. All of you filled by all of God. Is it possible in this life? Probably not. But I say we die trying. I say we give all that we are to getting this verse completed as much as we can on the day we die. Filled with all the fullness of God. Maybe it's not possible in this life, but we should be making steps in that direction. We should be stepping toward maturity. Some of us, it's going to take a little while, we're going to make baby steps. Others, are going to make leaps at times. As long as you're stepping toward the fullness of God being reality in your life, then you're in good shape. I always, always use a metaphor of the coin orbiters. You know what I'm talking about? When you go to the mall and you put the little coin in the top, and it starts rotating around on its edge. And at the beginning, when you first put that coin in, the orbit's real big. It's real large. But then as, you, you know, as, as time goes on, gravity pulls on that thing, and it starts you know, the orbit starts to shrink. And as it shrinks, it speeds up. Well, Christian life is a little bit like this. When you, when you came to Jesus, Jesus saved you, he get, your orbit was big. There's a lot of things that could fit inside your orbit. There's a lot of things that you were all about. You're all about this, all about that. You had a big orbit; a lot of things fit in there. Some sinful things, others not sinful things, just things. But Christian maturity is marked by this shrinking of your orbit, where more of God is in your orbit, and therefore less things fit in there. You see how that works. And, and, and gravity towards towards Jesus is pulling on you, and you're just your you, your orbit shrinks. You start speeding up. It takes less time to make a cycle in your life. Just boom, 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 and you're heating up as you're getting closer to the sun. You're being filled with the fullness of God. You have less things, but you have more Jesus, and you have more joy. Less things, but more Jesus and more joy. One of my favorite authors is a man named Jeremiah Burroughs, another old dead guy. He was a Puritan, and he wrote this 400 years ago. It was on the overhead if you saw it before service. He said this, and I quote, Contentment is not by addition, but by subtraction. Seeking to add a thing will not bring contentment. Instead, Subtracting from your desires until you are satisfied only with Christ brings contentment, End quote. That was true 400 years ago. It's doubly true today. Because less fits in your orbit, more Jesus in your orbit, and that equals in your life more joy, more contentment. As we mature in the Lord, the fullness of God is filling our lives. And this curious thing happens. It's a little bit, a little, you know, it's a little philosophical, so permit me a little philosophy here. But th- this is what I've noticed happens when God fills your life those things inside your orbit. Things you enjoy. Mature Christians enjoy more deeply. Because here's here's what I think happens. There are certain things that bring you pleasure. Whether it's uh, in the mountains, hiking in the mountains, or the ocean, or, or hearing a baby laugh, whatever. Something brings you pleasure. And as a believer... As you mature in the Lord, what, what you're realizing is the true source of that joy is not the thing itself, but something beyond the thing. Namely, God Himself. God has created you with a capacity for joy. And when a Christian enjoys something, he enjoys it much deeper than a non Christian does because he 's actually enjoying God in that thing. the joy of God that he was created to enjoy is being brought to him through that thing. Is that making sense? And so this is something the world can 't know they can 't experience uh, the world can only know enjoyment of something for the thing itself, and when the thing expires it 's gone, and the joy it goes with it. This is why. The world looks for other things to bring them pleasure and joy, and it's never satisfying. That's why sex never satisfies. That's why power never satisfies. There's never enough. That's why money, there's never enough, because they're looking for those things, and those things bring them pleasure, but it's a limited pleasure. It never transcends the thing itself. But a follower of Jesus, when we enjoy something, we're enjoying God who's behind it, and we can enjoy it more fully, a deeper and longer and lasting joy in that thing. And this stabilizes us and draws us more to Jesus, more of God in you. So when we see the mountains and we revel in the grandeur. You're not reveling in the mountain, are you? You're reveling in your God who is demonstrating his grandeur in the mountain. Do you see that works? When the baby laughs for the first time and you have that, that joy in you that you, you don't get anywhere else, It's not necessarily the baby's laugh. It's the joy that's in God that's being brought to you through the baby's laugh. This applies to everything. This applies to art, music, poetry, movies, stories, lovemaking, and sports. Who knew? But you can enjoy God in those things. C.S. Lewis is helpful here. He writes There have been times when I think we do not desire heaven. But more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we've ever desired anything else. End quote. You see, that's heaven. Enjoying God in the things that God has made. This is why heaven will never be boring. It will be lasting joy from plateau to plateau that never ends because your God is infinite and His joy is infinite. And the pleasure of heaven is infinite. Being filled with the fullness of God, making your life more about Jesus, has the effect of enlarging your heart for greater joys. And greater, richer pleasures means a steadfast commitment to God's purpose in your life. Why else do you think the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength? There's something about enjoying God in life that strengthens you. And there are some of us in here who as your pastor, let me give you permission to enjoy your life. You, you guys know these like scowler Christians. Just always, man, God save me, but doggone it, I'm mad about it or something. They need permission to enjoy God's creation. To enjoy the spouse he gave them. To enjoy those hellions of children that he gave them. To enjoy life. So you have my permission to experience the joy of God and have fun. Have fun. Fun Christians are fun to be around because fun people are fun to be around. So those are, those are the tools from the quartermaster. Those are the things that you're going to need in order to fulfill God's purpose in your life. Now to your application points and we'll, we'll wrap up. Take out your little connection card, the piece you tore off. And you write these down. You keep them this week. You can refer to them this week as you go along. It's this little part right here. Here's how you're going to apply this passage to your life this week. Number one, seek God as your father. Seek God as your father. If this is a struggle for you, Maybe if, even if it isn't a struggle for you, here's, what, here, here's an assignment you can take this week. Open up your Bible and look for God as Father. Look for the fatherhood of God. Do a Bible study on the fatherhood of God. If you've never done a Bible study, if you don't know how to do one, we're going to be doing a class about that, not too far from now. But also, if you, just, if you need something this week, send me an email. I'll give you some verses that you can look up, something you can read, memorize some verses, do some word studies, just get your nose in the scripture. And it's going to feel at first like you're just reading the same thing over and over and over again. But you know what's happening? It's called meditating on the word of God. And what happens is God is rewriting those, those bad lines of code. That's all that's happening. There's nothing mystical, something magical. It's just the way God set it up. So if you need some verses, send me an email this week. I'll, I'll be glad to give you some, e- some, some help in that, that way. The, the second thing. Enlarge your heart for Jesus' love. Um, let's stop settling for the lesser pleasures. Let's start recognizing sin for what it is. It's just, your, so- your source of joy in this life is God in heaven, and sin is asking you to turn away from that source and to turn to something else which cannot fulfill that longing in your heart for joy. So let's not settle for the lesser pleasure. Let's recognize it for what it is. Enlarge our heart to understand and comprehend Jesus' love. So some of us, maybe your approach to sin has in the past just been, you know, I'm going to grip my teeth and just, you know, I'm going to put the gloves on and we're just going to fight this out, devil. Come on. And you always lose, don't you? It's it's a a sad, sick cycle of just falling into sin and repenting and trying to make it back to God by reading more Bible and praying more often and then falling back into sin and then repenting and doing it all over again. And it's never going to work because you're trying, you're going at it the wrong way. You've got to replace, you've got to enlarge your heart. Feast on the riches of God in His Word. Go to his table. And then suddenly Taco Bell won't look so good anymore. It never really did in the first place. Place is nasty. I worked there, I promise you. It's worse than you think it is. And then last thing this week source your joy. Source it. Look at the things in your life that you enjoy. And then just be aware of why you enjoy those things. And tap into what God has for you to enjoy those life. You will have a much fuller life if you just source your joy in Christ rather than if you think it's the little thing. It really isn't. Something far greater behind it. Far richer. So take something in your life, maybe exchange time that you would have normally devoted to that thing and devote it to the Word devoted to prayer, and I promise that thing that you like to do will be far richer. You will enjoy it far more than you had. And then the last thing I'll include under this point is, let's just enjoy the Lord this week. I just give you permission to have fun, to laugh, smile, do something fun this week. Because, Jesus got up out of the grave and your sins are forgiven. So there's a reason to be happy, right? Amen? All right, stand to your feet. Let's go ahead and pray. Corey, if you want to go ahead and lead us in another song, we'll uh, tell Jesus thank you for everything he's given us in his word. Lord and Father, there is nothing, nothing greater than you, nothing more joyous than you, nothing more pleasing than you. And so I ask for myself and for my people that I get to serve, that you would enlarge our hearts to enjoy you this week, to stabilize us and to root us and ground us in the love of Jesus so that we can be equipped, well-equipped to serve your purpose in our life this week and every week going forward. In Jesus' name.